Welcome into the From the Loop podcast from One East Jackson in the Radio DePaul Sports Studio. I'm Tim Stebbins with Matt Mellemsetter. We hey. are. How you doing? I'm good. I was say we're the host of our cool radio show, which is uh, Thursdays. I can't speak. It's on Thursdays, 5.30, 6.30 on Radio DePaul Sports, but here's our cool side project. This is a uh, kind of a podcast. This is our radio show. It's called From the Loop. This is the From the Loop podcast. Um, and with the From the Loop podcast, we hope to kind of hit five topics um kind of just quickly kind of give you like a 15 20 minute lowdown on what you need to know for the week we'll have we have a key for the week which is uh the breaking news about chili davis being fired tim's gonna kind of give us the whole lowdown of what that means for the cubs what he did for the cubs over the last over his tenure um and what that means going forward as well as four things that you need to know which is chris bryant and his contract extension debate uh the alcs and the nlcs uh jimmy butler's practice breakdown and are the chiefs super bowl bound tim are the chiefs elite are the chiefs elite <laughs> the age-old question um tim i want to throw it to you and you're the you write for cubs uh, you write for nbc on the cubs you're the in-house cubs expert i'm the lowly uh <laughs> trans chicago transplant can you give us a little bit of what chili davis has meant to the chicago cubs over the last year and what this move means what has Chili Davis done what's his role with the Cubs as hitting coach what does he do all that jazz please tell us well Matt I think you're also a baseball expert sure so but I'm not a Cubs expert I didn't know I didn't know about Chili Davis's situational hitting thing I, I know a lot about the base the game of baseball I don't know a lot about the Cubs so if you would please kind of cover this for us the Cubs hitting coach for the World Series team even up until 2017 to 2015 oh, wow. I didn't they had a different coach gotcha my bad. John Maley. And this guy, his whole shtick was called the launch angle. And the launch angle is popular league-wide now. But the Cubs really embraced it with John Maley when he, Joe Madden arrived. And what launch angle says, obviously, is hit the ball in the air and worry about getting it over, mm-hmm. guys. So if they're shifting on you, which we see all the time in MLB now, hit it over the shift. Yeah. Don't hit it away from it. Hit it over it. Yeah. Well, the Cubs offense floundered. Is that a word? Flounder? Yeah. Can I also... I. Uh, played baseball for a long time and was also uh, kind of a swing doctor in baseball. Swing doctor. Yeah, I would help people a lot. So the the big <laughs> thing on the launch angle is that uh, it's where the ball is coming off of the bat and how the swing is in orientation. So a lot of times uh, guys are taught to swing level, to hit a line drive. Uh, you don't want to have an uppercut and you don't want to swing down on a ball. An uppercut would give you pop-ups. Uh, swinging down on the ball is going to give you some ground balls. And so the idea is to swing level, you'll hit line drives. But in baseball, a pitcher's throwing off of the mound, uh, so the ball's coming down at an angle. And so the idea of the launch angle and the concept that John Malley was pitching and thriving upon is that you're matching the angle of the ball coming down okay. to launch it out. So if you're swinging level on a ball coming down, you're not going to be able to make square contact as if you're correcting for where the ball's coming in. Do you see what I'm saying? I didn't ever think of it. I, yeah. I didn't know anything. This is, you, Matt Mellomsetter is officially the swing duck. Yeah, so I like I said, I know a lot about baseball. I don't know a ton <laughs> about the Cubs, so I can give you the lowdown. On it. So the idea with the launch angle is that, yes, hit it over people, but also like it's easier to make square contact if you're adjusting your swing and not swinging level, but instead swinging for the pitcher's uh, ball placement. So that's interesting. It's not just – we're saying it's not just swinging to – from the way the defense is set up and getting it all over them, it's yep. swinging how the pitcher is delivering it. To yes, you. it's it's you're matching, you're trying to match uh, to hit like a line drive or hit a laser into the gaps to drive it deep to go over the top. You're trying to match the angle that the ball's coming in, and that's become 
the league-wide thing. That is what is not popular. Yep. So the Cubs offense, I guess you could say what really set them off in firing John Maley after the 2017 season was the NLCS. And the Cubs lost this series for two reasons. One, they faced the Dodgers, who the Dodgers won 104 games last year. They went to the World Series and lost in seven games. So that's one thing. The Cubs also, their pitching was kind of in disarray when they entered that series. They had mm-hmm. Jose Quintana pitch game five in relief uh, against the Nationals, and they had him start a couple like on two mm-hmm. days rest against Dodgers game one. They lost that game 2-5. to five. So in the NLCS, they scored 2-1, one, 1-2, one, and one run. Who Who's the scapegoat? Someone's at fault, right? Well, they fired John Maley yeah. for it, and they, they hired Chili Davis. And Chili Davis's thing is not launch angle. It's, okay, they're shifting on you, Anthony Rizzo. They're putting a guy in shallow right field, hit it into left field, mm-hmm. which I think is, depending on who you're talking to, Yeah, some people may like that, some don't. I don't think I want my my player as elite as Anthony Rizzo sacrificing his natural swing to hit it into left field or as a lot of people say well why don't he why doesn't he just bunt it to the left side you're going to tell a guy who's as good as Anthony Rizzo or a Bryce Harper for example yeah yeah just give up your swing and bunt it to get on base yeah that's not the whole game is scoring runs mm-hmm. not bunting and getting on so for for reference here in 2017 the Cubs were ninth in the MLB with 223 home runs and I'm going to bring in the Boston Red Sox for a comparison because Chili Davis was the Red Sox hitting coach after last season until they fired him. Boston Red Sox were 27th in home runs with 168. Wow. 27th, 168. Cubs were 9th with 223. So they switch, right? Cubs get Chili Davis's hitting coach. They wanted the situational hitting. They want to drive in more runs mm-hmm. after not doing well in the NLCS. 2018 home runs. And- before we go on, can go. we just cover situational hitting as well? Good. So situational hitting isn't just Andrew uh, Anthony Rizzo pounding it to the left field when the switch is on the right. It's also like guy on second base. If you hit it to the left side of the infield, he can't move up. So you hit it to the right side of the infield. Go station to station, move him from second to third, put him into better scoring position for somebody else to hit a sack fly, drive him home. It's not. It's it is a little bit of like hitting against the shift, but it's also hitting in a position where it moves guys up and playing to the situation. So guy on third, you're trying to also drive it to the right side of the infield or uh, up in the air. It's it's specific situations tell you, the hitter, where you need to put the ball. It's about also like placing it and locating it and knowing everything. So maybe I will say this. Tell me if I'm wrong. Sure. It's almost as if you're sacrificing your at-bat for the betterment of the team. Yes, Is exactly. That a fair way it, to put it's, it? it's team baseball. Okay. It's it's uh yeah much more team baseball oriented versus just swinging for the fences, which is what we saw the Cubs do previously. The Cubs offense is Kyle Schwarber in left field. Jason Hayward is not really powerful, but he's in right field. Ian Happ is a guy who had 24 home runs last year. Rizzo in first base. Javier Baez. Addison Russell had 20 some home runs a few years ago. Uh, obviously Chris Bryant and then Wilson Contreras who had 21 last year. Yep. It's a team full of guys who hit for power. Yeah. And that's yeah. You need to play to your strengths. We just talked about it on a radio show. If you have a talented player, the Bears are – Jordan Howard is rumored to be a, maybe a sleeper in the trade candidacy. Why would you trade Jordan Howard if he's helping your team make yeah. it work? Right. If you're the Cubs and your baseball teams, make your team work based on what you have. So the Cubs fired John Maley to bring in Chili Davis. So the Red Sox, as I said, they were the bottom of the league in home runs last year. The Red Sox, this is partially because they signed J.D. Martinez. Mm-hmm. Big power hitting guy. But the Red Sox finished ninth in the MLB this year with 208 home runs. The Cubs were 22nd with 167. So the Red Sox took where the Cubs were last year and John Malley. Mm-hmm. The Cubs did slightly better than Boston last year, but 
The Cubs only had 167. The bought and the Red Sox they had less than the Red Sox. Yeah. Red Sox had 168 last year. So really, this was a big fear of a lot of people when the Cubs hired Chili Davis. Was they looked right at the home runs right away and said Boston didn't hit for power with Chili yeah. Davis. The Cubs need the Cubs. The Cubs set the record in 2015. I was at this game, Cubs Cardinals game yeah. three, NLDS with six home runs at a playoff game. Yeah. The Cubs hit home runs to score. And while, yes, you need that situational hitting at times, the Cubs essentially took their strength and brought in Shilly Davis and I don't want to say killed it because Theo Epstein said at his end-of-the-season press conference about a week or so ago, Mm -hmm. we didn't want to sacrifice power by emphasizing situational hitting. I think this is the thing. Situational hitting is good. Like we said, it's team baseball. And that's how any team, Little League Up, you want to play that way. Yeah. But if you're a professional team like the Cubs with full of power hitters, you don't want to give up your power just because, oh, they're shifting on you, so you should just hit it away from the shift. It's not how you want to do it. Yeah, I think I think the positive of, of, of situational hitting is that it should uh, defy any weather situation. Uh, so Chicago plays in—the Cubs play in Chicago at Wrigley Field uh, in the wintertime for postseason baseball. And deep into the fall for postseason baseball— Wind blowing in from the lake out in right field. Um, it's always cold. If the wind's blowing in and if it's cold, it's really pretty difficult to hit home runs. And that can stifle your offense if your entire offense is built on the home run game. With situational hitting, you should be able to just hit these. You should be able to hit the ball to the right side, hit the ball to the spots you're supposed to hit the ball to, and still continue to score runs regardless of any weather or uh, inclement weather. Yeah, and the thing with Wrigley Field is it's this is a kind of a twofold thing. It is a pitcher's ballpark majority of the year. When the wind's not blowing out, it's blowing in. A lot of home run balls and other stadiums are taken yeah. and they're just yeah. flyouts in that point. But the Cubs also with strikeouts, I don't want to say Chili Davis is completely a fault for their offense. We'll get into their offensive numbers in a second, but strikeout wise, they were at the tops of the league here. They struck out trying to get the exact number the Cubs were 13th with 1,388 strikeouts and this was the first year in MLB history where there were more strikeouts league-wide than hits but the three outcomes we all say now are what walk strikeout and what's the third one home run home run so if you have a team full of power hitters why are you all of a sudden changing from that strength technical difficulty in here yeah, you got it. I got it. I my f- I was swinging my <laughs> foot around and I knocked Tim's charging cord out and killed his computer. It's but your charger, so it's it's okay. No worries. I got it plugged in and we're back on track. <laughs> Tim, keep talking, please. I would just say this: the the Cubs fired Chili Davis, and I think this is rectifying a mistake they will never admit that they made after 2017 sure. in firing John Maley. But yeah. the Cubs offense, there are some daunting numbers here that we have. First half, the Cubs were first in the National League in runs and on uh, OPS. They were third in the National League in slugging, and they were first in the entire MLB in on-base percentage. Second half, wow. the Cubs dropped from third to 13th in slugging in the National League. Mm-hmm. They dropped from ninth in on-base percentage in the National League from first overall in the MLB. So not just ninth in the MLB in on-base, but ninth overall in wow. the National League out of 15 yeah. teams. So you can imagine where that ranking is out of 30. Yeah, And they were first... In OPS in the first half, they dropped to 10th in the National League. So what this all says is their offense, it really started to struggle in the second half when, like we said, what did we say about Wrigley Field? In the summertime, the wind's blowing out, that's when you should thrive. Yeah. And it didn't. The Cubs scored in the second half. They were 37-13 and 13 when they scored two or more runs. 
So what does that say? You score runs, you win games. Score not not just score runs, score like so few runs that it's if you score two runs. Literally two. Two. That you should you should score two runs every single game if you're a team with the payroll like the Cubs. The Cubs ground ball per, uh, ground ball rate was 49 and a half in the second half. That means like we said, they're not launching the ball. They're rolling over it yeah. a lot, and that's just that's an issue. These numbers don't lie here. The Cubs scored one or zero runs, 20 out of the 70 games in the second half. They scored two or fewer in 50 games, mm-hmm. and they still managed to win 37 of those 50 when they scored at least two. Actually, that's wrong because they scored two or fewer. So two or fewer in 50 games, but at the same time, they were 37 and 13 if they scored just two runs. Yeah. So that means a lot of games they scored one or none. Yeah. And they did that 40 such times, including the National League Wild Card game. That's terrible. And tw- the, the, the team that was tied with that, the Orioles did it 40 times this year, and they went 47-115. Yeah. So the Cubs were tied with an unfortunate category with the Orioles in scoring one or zero runs 40 times. Yeah. That's I mean, and that Orioles team is one of the worst baseball teams ever. Mm-hmm. Is seriously one of the worst teams that's ever existed. I'm an Orioles fan, and it's <laughs> horrible existence. Uh, Tim, I think we've covered that enough. Can Is it cool we, if we move on to our next I four things? I think I'm exhausted even thinking about it. God, great. <laughs> um, so, first of the four things, we got some more Cubs news. Chris Bryant apparently turned down a $200 million-plus contract extension. Uh, Tim, can you tell us all about this story? This is a long podcast today. Yeah, no, it, we're already at 17 minutes, but uh, we've got— a few more topics to touch on just quickly. I'm here for it. Uh, Chris Bryant Chris Bryant was essentially offered a contract extension by the Cubs, as they do with all of their young players, Bryant, Schwarber. They already have Rizzo locked up. They locked up Starling Castro when he was here for these yeah. buy-out-your-arbitration years. And the Cubs offered something north of $200 million, as David Kaplan's report goes from uh, NBC Sports Chicago and ESPN 1000. Um, Sahadev Sharma from The Athletic came out today and said, yeah, they offered that, but it was like spring training. And yeah. David Kaplan said that. Well, yeah, I said several months ago. And everyone's like, David Kaplan, several months ago to end, most people is summertime. Yeah, <laughs> David Kaplan's just been swept up and busy, and he forgot that it was <laughs> almost almost November. Uh, he does a lot of busy stuff. Yeah. Fairness to him. It, um, and I, I get why Chris Bryant would turn this down. Yeah. it's So Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are both up next to be signed, and they're both looking at getting contracts well north of $200 million. Some are thinking above $300, $350 million upwards. At times, there's been rumors of $500 million for Bryce Harper. Half I don't, a billion. Half a billion dollars for Bryce Harper. I don't think that's in the cards anymore after Bryce Harper's last season, but the fact that those numbers are getting thrown around means that $200 million for Chris Bryant just doesn't mean as much anymore. And uh, we've seen it in the NFL with contracts like uh, Kirk Aaron Rodgers waiting to sign his extension, waiting for Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan to sign. Um, it When other players that are of your caliber or slightly below your caliber are signing extensions, you wait until they sign so you can point to them and say, see, I'm better than them. I should get more. <laughs> and that's what Chris Bryan is doing is he's waiting it out until Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign so he, that he can say, hey, look, my war over since I came into the league is higher than theirs. My statistics are better than theirs. I should be getting paid more money than they are. I'm more versatile. I'm more valuable. I should be getting paid more than they are. Yeah, so Chris Bryant's war, according to Fangraphs, they calculated their own way. Since 2015, when he entered the league, is 23.0. Harper's is 20.6 since 2015. Machado is 21.7 since 2015. Uh, One interesting thing, Bryce Harper, there's talks of him getting half a billion dollars when he had his worst year as a professional, essentially, here. 249, that's his lowest batting average as a pro. Actually, second lowest, 243 in 2016. But he struck out 169 times. That's his most in a season. 
his war, I want to get the Fangraphs number just to make sure I don't butcher this. But yeah, and also to stay on the same statistic. Yeah. Stay on Fangraph war. Three and a half was his war this year. Chris Bryant put a 2.3 war up in 102 games. Yeah. The war statistic, it's built on how many games you play. The more games you play, the higher the chances to go up. Because if you play like 30 games, it's not going to be like wins above your replacement. Who's who are you replacing? You know. Yeah. Right. Um, so Bryce Harper's WAR in 159 games was hardly better than Chris Bryant's in 102. Chris Bryant, as you said, he's looking at these guys and he's saying, "I want to see what I can get." He honestly would look foolish signing a 250 million dollar contract, as much as that sounds ridiculous. If those guys get 400 this offseason. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, Bryant could push for. 50 to 100 million dollars more than them if they sign for 300 350 400 million dollars. Um next, it's the ALCS and the NLCS right now. Uh we've got Astros Red Sox in the AL, we've got Dodgers Brewers in the NL. Uh Tim, what do you th- what are your thoughts on this going forward? I think one big thing here to to look at is bullpenning. Bullpenning mm. is taking the Brewers to the NLCS. Yeah. They need like four or five innings from a starter before they have let's say from not worst to best but like least top of their Let's say middle relief to their elite guys, right? Yeah. Joaquim Soria, who is the White Sox old closer in Royals, pretty good reliever. Yeah. A, a pretty good reliever can come in and throw one inning and be fine and move on to the next guy. Uh, a pretty good reliever is much different from a pretty good starter where you're facing five innings of a pretty good starter. Everyone gets a couple cracks at him. A reliever, he's probably only going to throw to three or four or five guys before he gets subbed out. So there's no worry about fatigue. There's no worry about guys getting a taste for him. No worry about guys seeing things a second time. Joaquim Soria throwing one inning a game is pretty great. Yeah, he's a righty, so let's say against the Dodgers. Bless you, Matt. Excuse me. We got this soundproof studio. No one can hear it. Thank God for these suede <laughs> Love this sound suede. damage. This feels so nice. Make a good pillow, wouldn't they? <laughs> I, I listened to our last week episode as a side topic. Would these feel good for you as a pillow? I didn't get to ask you. Absolutely not. That's tough. Yeah. Oh. Well, anyway, Soria could come against the Dodgers and face, let's say, a righty and Chris Taylor, Justin Turner, and Manny Machado. If he retires them, sweet. Then all of a sudden you have Xavier Sedano from the left side to face mm-hmm. Jock Peterson and Corey Bellinger. Yeah. That's Cody Bellinger. Excuse me. I was thinking of Seager and Cody. Sure. Cody Bellinger. Flip and then you have after that, Corey Knable was an all-star closer in 2017. Yeah. He had some issues this year, and he came back from the minor league stint in September and has been lights out since. Yeah. You have Josh Hader, who essentially is one of the left best lefty relievers of all time this this season sure. he's had, and Jeremy Jeffries, who the Brewers traded a couple years ago to the Rangers as a midsummer deal, and now he's their elite closer. Yeah, I am not a Brewers fan, but man, that's tough bullpen. It's like the Royals in 2015, yeah. and guess what? They have Soria, and they have Mustakis and Lorenzo Cain, which yeah. all the Royals all had. Yeah, it's it's a similar build in a similar sized market. And what happened in 2015? Royals won the World Series. It's, it's if it works, it works, right? Yep. Um, thoughts on the AL? AL is probably the best ALCS. To, to, is that wrong to say that we've seen in a while? 108. No, Red I Sox. think that's fair. Yeah, the Red Sox won a lot of baseball games. Were really good, and the Astros won 103, but. Uh, according to what I'm, I forget the statistic that it's called, they should have won 109. Yeah, so Baseball Reference has the Pythagorean win-loss record. Right. It essentially, just says what based on what they've done offensively, pitching, defense, what their record should be. The Red Sox, ironically, they won 108 games. Baseball Reference says it they they played well enough to win 103 only. Sure. Red Sox won or Astros won 103. Baseball Reference says they played enough well enough to win 109. Yeah. Um, this is one of the best series we've seen in a long time. 103 win Astros team is getting slept on because the Dodgers won, or the Red Sox won five more games. Yeah, I mean you have David Price and Chris Sale and 
you know, to a lesser extent, Rick Porcello, good Red Sox rotation. Mm-hmm. Then you also have, okay, we have, let's start with Verlander, Garrett Cole, and then you have uh, Dallas Keuchel. Yeah. It's it's stardom everywhere. We talked about their offense, too, is a lot of stars on both yeah. sides. With When Carlos Correa is your fourth best hitter on offense, like, you're stacked. Springer had two home runs in the closeout division series game against the Indians. Bregman, Altuve, on the other side, Mookie and Jay so Martinez. Yeah. It's it's very it's fun. It's going to be electrifying baseball to watch. It's it's very – it's it, what the LCS should be. Yeah, and I, I think also a fun combination of uh, games going on in Houston and fair weather in a nice in Minute Maid Park in some good weather where we can see some explosive baseball. And then also games happening up in Fenway where it's probably going to be cold and we're going to see some classic postseason baseball happening. Got to say it again, Matt. This is just – it's so funny to me. This could be our first ever all-indoor World Series if the Brewers yeah. and Astros advance. Yeah, that, that's something we talked about on From the Loop. Listen in every Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, shameless plug. Uh, but, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. This could be our first all-indoor World Series, which could be <laughs> – I think would be a lot of fun. It's like a quirky, like – note it's like an asterisk almost but not like an asterisk in a bad way it's just like no this was the first all indoor world Series. so when the offense is bigger and when people are scoring more runs in this world series like awesome help baseball maybe baseball is yeah. a lot of people poop on it for sorry to make say a weird oh, word on don't say poop <laughs> now we're gonna have to bleep you uh jimmy butler he's been throwing a fit lately he's with the timberwolves he doesn't want to be with the timberwolves uh, he he's wanted out since after the end of last year tim you've got a quote to read for us yeah, Jimmy Butler apparently requested a trade four days after the Rockets eliminated the Timberwolves, and he sat down with Rachel Nichols from ESPN, and two standout quotes I saw. He said... "This uh, Just for some context, this interview is after uh, he returned to Timberwolves practice uh, for the first time all summer. He didn't go all summer. He has not been working with the team. Um, this is his first time practicing this preseason. Uh, basically, he hasn't played basketball all year. He took a team of third stringers, beat the starters, and screamed at their GM, Scott Layden, you effing need me. Podcast, we can say whatever yeah. we want. Poop, poop, poop. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so after the practice, after the practice, he calls up Rachel Nichols and says, I'm ready to talk. And so ESPN comes out to Minneapolis, sits down with Jimmy Butler for an interview where he's wearing some pretty dope uh, hoop earrings and he tells Rachel Nichols <laughs> what does he tell Rachel Nichols Tim she said when did you start to realize that things are wrong and he said it just all goes back to telling the truth and being honest with myself me being honest with them them being honest with me and you just look at it and the whole thing is I just want to be appreciated that's it it's not about anything else then she later asked me again he said she basically is reading all the reports because she can't based on the collective bargaining agreement you can't talk about asking for a trade but because this is all common knowledge and public information, she said, based on what the report said, this is what is the deal. And she said, is this all accurate? And he said, it is accurate. And she said, tell me what it's all about. And he said, it's about saying we need you. We want you here. We can't do this without you. And that was the disconnect all along. You're saying one thing and you're saying it and you're saying it. I mean, I've learned enough times in life that saying something is completely different than acting upon it. He wants them to sit down and say, Jimmy, we love you. We need you. We can't win without you. Yeah. Screeching. Sorry. No, that's okay. I, I'm I'm on top of the levels today, Tim, so don't even worry about it. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Butler wants to be appreciated in Minnesota. Typically, uh, as we heard last week on From the Loop, on the From the Loop podcast, I'm pretty often in players' favor. I'm pretty always on the player's side no matter what the situation is. This is kind of the first time in a while that I've been like, I want to support you, but I don't really know what you're talking about here. Um, Jimmy Butler's a top 10 player in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, uh, when he's on the floor, the Timberwolves are 13 points better. That's an outrageous swing. 
Um, he's a, a elite perimeter defender. He works harder than anybody else on the court. He doesn't like lazy people, uh, <laughs> which he calls out Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, the Timberwolves' two stars, for being lazy and not dedicated to the game. Um, I don't know. What do you th- think about him? It's just weird because it's like it's not about the money to him. Right. It's not about winning because that's a winning team that was a third seed before he tore yeah, his meniscus or whatever his knee injury was. I, I'm just very confused about all of this. I, th- I think he just wants out and just needs a reason to get out. Yeah, almost it seems like that. because, But it's weird because the teams he quote-unquote requested were— Are not winners. Brooklyn, New York Knicks, L.A. Clippers, all doo-doo teams yeah. combined for 143 Te- like wins. Not, good, not winning teams and not teams that really have futures in front of them. And the assets that it would take to get Jimmy Butler are the assets that are giving up whatever future they have ahead of them. For yeah. him to go to the Miami Heat, they would have to be giving up uh, Bam— Adebayo and Josh Richardson. That's, that's how you say his last name, and Josh Richardson. And, and the, those are kind of their two centerpiece players right now. And to trade them for Jimmy Butler would mean that the Miami Heat are not going anywhere in the foreseeable future. Yeah, Bam scored 26 in a preseason game last night, and Richardson scored 25. So not that they're going to do that every night, but those are two pieces that Richardson was a second-round pick, and he's kind of like Butler was a 30th overall pick, and look what he's turned into. You kind of hope for maybe Richardson turning into a serviceable tw- top 25 player in the NBA. Yeah. Um, All right, uh, we got one last topic. Tim, can you bring us in on this? Yeah, before we do, I would just like to shamelessly plug your Monday Night Countdown show. Oh, thank you. Matt and Charlie, they host... DePaul on Football from uh, on Mondays from 530 to 630. name. Nah, it's DePaul on Football. And the website, I swear, it says something else. It says, like, Monday Night Countdown or something. Is it not say that? It shouldn't. Ooh, maybe I'm just totally misreading here. Yeah, it does it's, say DePaul football. Yeah, it's DePaul football. I think it used to say that. It was just like yeah, a yeah. It was it was my that was our placeholder name, but uh, Charlie changed it to DePaul football. It's a great show. Uh, we spent an hour discussing kind of all the biggest news of the week. Uh, what we saw on last Sunday. We discussed some film stuff. We discussed some real X and O's. We cover the NFC North pretty in depth, and <laughs> Charlie does a great job producing it. Charlie always does a great job of, of playing the background music, of doing finding the highlights to play, and he does a great job of weaving it all together. Um, also, after that, I do a show called Sports Ball, where I review sports balls. You're doing uh, football already. You I've done the right? fo- So I've done the football, and I've done the basketball, and so now we're getting to the root of where those balls came from and how those sports developed with the soccer ball, the association football. Wow. And so that's next week. Um, the association football uh, was the original ball used for football and the original ball used for basketball until uh, each of them kind of realized the wrongs the association football kind of gave their sport. And as each sport developed, they began to develop their pro- uh, like their own balls. And so now we get to the root of it with where did the association football come from and how did soccer develop around the association football? I would like to give you kudos because when you first said this, I thought it was just gonna be like fun with sports balls. No, it, you it, really are doing your stuff. It's a real, it's a real scripted program, and it, it, I play a little bit of a character on it, but it's a lot of fun. Hey, man, it's very uh, well done, and it's creative programming here on Radio Paul Sports, which is what I've been trying to push as our uh, program director this year. Matt's done a good job. Thank you so much. Um, last topic, then the Chiefs are five and zero. This is funny. I, I talked to Ryan Witchery about this, our GM here, and I said, are they the team to beat? And he said, no, it's the Patriots. What are your thoughts? Because for me, the Chiefs are, let's see, they're second in the AFC in point differential behind the Ravens of all teams. Ravens 55, Chiefs 46. Only other teams better. The Bears are 46 as well, and the Rams are 75. But are the Chiefs the team to beat, at least in the AFC? 
I think y- until they lose, yeah. <laughs> They're 5-0 and right now. Uh, the Chiefs has w- have one of the worst defenses in football. Wow. I think that's worth pointing out is the Chiefs have like the 30th-ranked defense in the NFL. And we've seen this before with the Kansas City Chiefs where they start out 5-0 and with a dominating <laughs> year, right? eye. Oh, yep. And I think two years before that <laughs> where they start out with a dominating blazing hot offense, but their defense is not good enough to keep them in the race for a long time. And I think that'll be the issue when the postseason rolls around. Is This team, is, this Kansas City Chiefs team, is the team to beat for the foreseeable future until they lose in, a, in the regular season, definitely. But in the postseason, every team is good on offense, and you really do need your defense to step up, and we have not seen this Kansas City Chiefs defense step up or even be average. They've only been very bad. I... I think this is worth noting because they played the Jaguars last week, and it was at home for the Chiefs, granted. Yeah. But the Jaguars' defense is one of the best in the NFL. I have yeah. the uh, the ranking here. The Jaguars are first in allowing just 292.2 yards mm-hmm. per game. Bears are second to 94.5. The, the Chiefs made it look so easy marching on the field against yeah. that team. And it wasn't like Ramsey was out. That was a stacked, loaded-up, healthy Jaguars defense that our second-year quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, was shredding up. Yeah, Pat Mahomes looks really good. And so one of Pat Mahomes' biggest issues coming into the NFL uh, and kind of a big knock that he got uh, in his draft profiles was that he didn't really read defenses at Texas Tech. He was so much of just a, he's in the air raid offense, say hut, throw the ball quickly. Get it out, pile up your pass attempts, pile up your pass yards. We'll score a lot of touchdowns that way. In the NFL... That doesn't really survive. You really do have to know where you're going to go with the ball before the snap, and then a lot of teams will run rolling coverages. So they might show a cover too high um, like before the play, but they'll roll into a Tampa 2 or roll into a cover 3. They'll roll into a blitz. They'll change it up as the ball is snapped. Sneaky. And it's very, it's, that's really where a lot of like young quarterbacks get tripped up is they'll make their pre-snap reads. The defense will roll into something else, so their pre-snap reads are wrong, and then they don't change their their reads in their head immediately. What we've seen from Patrick Mahomes this year is that as teams are rolling into their secondary defenses, so they're showing uh, a, a big play from last week that I saw from Patrick Mahomes was uh, they show in like a cover two roll into Tampa two. So there's instead of running man coverage with two safeties high, they're now running like as everybody's in a zone. And Mahomes immediately recognizes this, flips off of his cover two reads, and drills Travis Kelsey up the seam, which is the only spot you can beat this Tampa 2 coverage, is before the safety rolls over to the top and before any, one of the linebackers picks him up underneath. Drills Travis Kelsey in a five-yard window with a perfectly thrown ball that leads him right into the end zone. It's Patrick Mahomes doesn't just have the best arm in the NFL right now. Like He also is making all of the necessary reads and doing things before the snap with adjusting coverages and adjusting, uh, not coverages, his... Uh, offensive line, like protection schemes. He's adjusting players' routes. He's moving guys around behind the line of scrimmage so he can make his pre-snap reads, and then when they roll into something else, he knows exactly what they've rolled into, and he's able to get rid of the ball immediately. He's just... He's shown that he's miles beyond what we thought he was, not just physically, but mentally. Yeah, and this is something like... like he gets compared to Trubisky all the time because the Bears traded up to get Trubisky. He was picked second overall. Mahomes was after that in the first round. And Trubisky seems to struggle with the reads like that, and he hasn't adjusted as well as Mahomes clearly clearly has been. Yeah, and and I think uh, my other big knock on Trubisky is he overthrows a lot. Is is Trubisky's arm isn't really consistent either, and Mahomes has been dynamite in every single aspect. Trubisky's got the happy feet too. It's yeah, 
and Mahomes, you know, like you said, he's came from the Big Twelve, and they're just shootouts every game. So maybe yeah. that was part of his problem early on. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a long edition of the From the Loop podcast. Yeah, we we got everything a little bit more in depth. Uh, Is it still going? Yeah. No, it's still it's still going. We're still recording. What I, do you? I don't know. It just wasn't moving, so I was surprised. Technology, you know. Oh yeah. No. Well, it's just that. It, so <laughs> we're talking about our levels right now, and so what's happening is that this is the beginning of the show, and as the show has gotten longer and longer, it's moving less and less. Ah. Because there's now thirty minutes of audio behind it, and not like ten minutes or five minutes. Technology. I see. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm teaching this, Tim. This will be up shortly here, so all this content will be fresh. It'll be. We're not wherever you get your podcast, but on SoundCloud. Which yeah, we'll throw it up on SoundCloud. Uh, Tim, one recommendation I'm going to make for you. This is something that Mike and I plug every single episode of Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, um, which is my Packers uh, podcast recorded here from One East Jackson in this wonderful suede-filled room <laughs> with Mike Fleischman, uh, Radio DePaul alum, um, is Anchor FM. It's a great podcast hosting website, and it'll do it all for you. Uh, like You just upload it to Anchor. And it'll plug it onto iTunes, it'll plug it onto Google wow. Play, it'll do the whole shebang. I'm pretty sure it's free. I don't think Mike pays anything. It's just a great service that Mike plugs every week with with the mention of, I'm not getting paid to say this, I just really love this service. So that's my note for you. I'm not getting paid to use Anchor FM, but I love to use it. And Sure. If go, my, if my, this, if, go do it. <laughs> if you don't see this on my SoundCloud, it's probably an Anchor FM. But otherwise, yeah. look up Tim Stebbins on SoundCloud and hear this great episode. Well, you can throw it on SoundCloud too. Tune in everywhere, and you'll find it. But this has been the From the Loop podcast. We'll be back next week with Matt Melmsetter. I'm Tim Stevens in our suede-filled room in Radio DePaul Sports. Thanks for tuning in.